Great. So we will be continuing with this series in Colossians. Um, for you, those of you who are visiting today, uh, we've been uh, focusing in so far in Colossians, um, the, the letter that Paul wrote to Colossians. And we've been taking it very slowly. We've been taking and drawing our attention to things that are important for Paul so that he can kind of impart to this little congregation in Colossae. And um, in the light of that, we, we said we're going to ask each week a different question. So we started with the first question, are you ready to grow in 2020? And I think that's the overarching because, again, God has been um, challenging us about this growth in maturity, but also growth in number. And then the second question in the light of that overarching question is, what are you thankful for, for Kensrod Baptist Church and why? <coughs> the other one is, what are you praying for Cairns? And that was, again, in the light of Paul speaking his heart out about what he was praying for the Colossians. And then uh, last week we looked a little bit at the, the kind of this amazing hymn that Paul has, whether he has adopted or written about who Christ is. And we're going to stop on that uh, same uh, hymn today. But the question that we had uh, last week in the light of what Paul was experiencing, what was his framework? What was his, his template of worship and theology? And the question that we're going to be thinking and um, throwing there in the midst uh, today is how outstanding and unrivaled is our Jesus? And that's in the light of the passage that's um, um, written in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Before we read the passage, I just wanted to uh, remind us that uh, we started off with talking about the, the parable of the sower and uh, the elements of the uh, parable of the sower. And it had to do with four kind of different soils, really. We said that the quality of the seed was not in question. It's the soil. And uh, some of the things that were going on when Jesus was telling this story to, to his um, audience was that they really knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And we said that actually um, the key is the good soil, the cultivated soil. The key are foundations and roots. The key is this constant awareness of the thief who wants to steal the seed so it doesn't land on good soil. The key is to, to be aware of the clutter that does not hinder the soil to, uh, to, to, to produce fruit. And I think the, the idea that we're going to be talking or we've been thinking a little bit last Sunday and this Sunday is to be aware of the thief. The setup, as I said, was that um, Colossae was not a very important town. It was important, but it was, it was not highly important, like you'd say uh, Corinth or other big uh, places there. Um, it had a church that was planted, not uh, directly by Paul. And um, it's great to see that 
Paul is imparting his passion, but also is fulfilling the responsibility to be, uh, he was an apostle to the Gentiles, and to see that the gospel is giving fruit and the gospel is changing lives in setups that he has not even been. This makes the gospel amazing. And Paul doesn't, is not any more interested in the career building in gospel preaching. He's interested that people in, in, embrace the gospel and they get transformed by it. And also, I think it's very interesting that this group of people that he has really not got a, 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 an immediate relationship with are still carrying on, pressing on with these truths of the gospel. So he is aware that there is going... I mean, he, he totally knows the context. He knows all, all the things that are going on in, in, the, in the life um, of, of the ancient world. He knows very well the stories that the Greeks are telling. He knows very well the stories that the Jewish people are telling. He knows very well what it means to be a Pharisee, and he knows very well what it means to be really a smart man. He knows that. And yet he has come to this relationship with this Jesus who's really not doing anything to, 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 to impress, but this Jesus is bringing this good news of this transforming communities. It's transforming his life. He was all sorted for himself as far as as righteousness and goodness and things concerned, he was ticking all the boxes. And yet Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he, he, his passion for the church and for this, for this group of people to be disciples is real because he knows that even for himself, the cost of discipleship is real. So, um, when we talk about Colossians, I, I use the example that, that actually it's like an, a flower that is being unfolded, and, and the more you wait for it, the more unfolds, but you still have to, to wait patiently. And I think each of the words that is written in Colossians is well weights and well loaded, and it's got a lot of stuff. Even, you know, when we read the, the, the hymn now, we, we, we're going to, to, to be doing something uh, which we haven't done for a long time. But I've asked Ruth, my Ruth, to read it. And then let's listen. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and un invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. May God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. Ruth has read it for us. I'd like for you to read it for yourselves now. It's on the screen or in page 8032 of, of your Bibles. And uh, let's not rush this. Last week I, I spoke a little bit about the, the kind of the framework of this hymn. And it, it was this Jesus that was the cause of growth for the Colossians. And there is a lot of creativity <coughs> in, in this hymn. But in the same time it is correct. It's accurate. It's true of who Jesus is. It's a sharp contrast between what's going on in the culture, what's going on in the world, and the way that they have encountered this Christ and what Jesus means to them. It's audacious. And again, Paul is thinking about the legacy. It is okay for him to have this clear, clear vision of who Jesus is, but of course he wants to give it to the next generation of, of believers. And here we stand, 20 centuries later on, and we still are celebrating with this. The supremacy of Christ. I don't know when you read it for yourself, whether God or the Spirit prompted you to a particular word into, into that passage. But the supremacy of Jesus. I mean, I don't know how can I read this passage and not pause 
And I don't know how can I read this passage and not say, what on earth is he trying to say here? As I said earlier on, each of the words or the sentences is, is loaded with actually with truth. I said to you, Paul is trying to be quite creative here, but also he's drawing a big contrast because actually what people are looking for, they're looking for something. What people are being introduced to that actually it is okay for you to be a follower of Jesus, but why not try this other thing as an add-on? Or what, what is going on with the Greek ideologies is that it is okay as long as you've got your ideologies and you spice it a little bit with Jesus and you'll be fine. Whereas Paul is saying, well, this is not the Christ that I've encountered. This is not the gospel that it was entrusted, I was entrusted with. This is not the gospel that I've heard from Jesus himself. This is not the Jesus that... that I know of. And as I said, as I've, as I've written here, is that actually he's making seven big statements of who Christ is. Because the church in Colossae needs to hear that, and the church in Colossae needs to, to work on the basis that actually this is the Christ that they have an allegiance with. And if you remember, the, one of the points of the parable was that actually be aware of the chief thief, who not necessarily is stealing Jesus from them, but is downplaying who Jesus is and what he can do, who's, who's distorting their, 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 really, their, their worship, who's actually encouraging them to think and to make a different Jesus than what he is in reality. And he says, okay, you're hearing all sorts of things in the marketplace, but this is not the Jesus that is of the marketplace. He's saying he is the image of God. Now, the word that is used in Greek for them is the word icon. He is the image. It's like that print that we've got on coins. He is the image of God. So basically, what's, what they're saying, or what Paul is saying here, is that actually, he is God himself. If you're thinking that Jesus is something else, or if you are introduced to a different Jesus that actually is lower than God, no, no, he is the image of the invisible God. If you look Hebrews 1.3, if you look John 1, these are the, the moments where actually the penny has dropped for Paul and he wants to impart it because actually Jesus has really revealed himself. The, he is the image of the invisible God. He is God in flesh. He is God in flesh for you in Colossae. 
he's saying here. He is the image of an invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And I know that we don't have enough time to go deep into the Christological, theological movement here. But what is going on here is that actually there is a teaching that if Christ has come to earth, then he, the situation is a little bit complex because God cannot be identified with flesh because flesh is evil. And there is a lot of teaching around that going on in this area of the world in this time. And why not give Christ an angelic kind of authority? And we are fine with that because it's in between and we have not got a very clear understanding of what angels are and what can they do and stuff. So let's keep it ambiguous. Whereas Paul is saying, no, 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 no. No. Christ has come to earth. He is the image of the invisible God. It's a bit like Peter. Where else can we go, Jesus? You are the one who holds the words of eternal life. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of over creation. And I think this is another term that we need to, to spend a, a few moments with. Um, so when we talk about, when, when the scripture talks about the firstborn, there are two ways of looking at it. Firstborn in the way of order, so Amelia will be our firstborn. And then the other way of looking at the firstborn is the way of rank. And I think here, what, what Paul is trying to say is that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, and that's in rank. Because there's other passages in the Old Testament that God talks about the firstborn. So, for example, God refers to Israel as the firstborn nation, but that the nation of Israel was not created first in order, but it's, it's in rank, where, where Israel sat with, with God's heart. Um, another, I think it's Psalm 89, when it talks about the, the firstborn king. And again, it's not that, that the, the, uh, uh, David was the firstborn king. It's just that it was that idea of rank, the king, and then that translates to Jesus, that he's above all. So when, when Paul is talking about the firstborn in creation, over creation, he's not talking about the first person ever created like the Jehovah Witnesses talk about or the Unitarian Church talks about. No, it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with Jesus' rank. Firstborn over creation. Because why does he say that? Well, he's going to back that up with, with the, the following verses. It says, he is the creator of the universe. By him, all things were created, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him. And for him. The other attribute that Paul gives to Jesus. And how, how important is this for a first century church to hear? And how much more important it is for a 21st church to hear? Christ is the head of the church. 
the head of the body, which is the church. Well, this gives us hope. Because again, I think perhaps this is the right setting to say this. Christ is the head of this church because actually what we have brought to or what the, the, what the, the church in Colossae has brought to believe is that actually, no, Caesar is in charge here. You all do what Caesar tells you to do. And, and Christ is, is revealed here as the head of the church. Now, for us as, as Christians in 21st century England, this is okay for us to say Jesus is the head of the church. We can sing it. Well, let's go to China and claim that out loud and see what happens in this very day. Let's go to places where it's very clear this, this, this power of state worship And you know how costly this statement is. The reason why I make that drastic comparison is that sometimes we say that Jesus is the head of the church, but church acts as, it's, as if it's headless. This is not a criticism. I think we, we as a church in the West, we as a church in Bristol, we as Cairns Road can do much more with the truth that Christ is our head. Perhaps we have been downplayed the truth that Jesus is the head of the church. And perhaps we have believed that And we've gone and followed that and just not stated that actually, no, he is the head of the church. What does that mean? What Christ is in charge. The medics here would know better the functions of the head than I would do. But Christ being the head of the church, he is in charge. He is the firstborn from the dead. And again, this is the rank. He was not the first person who was resurrected. We've got John 11 when Lazarus was resurrected. But he is the firstborn. He is the one, again, in rank. That, that above all those people that was resurrected, Jesus still stands on top as the firstborn of the risen from the dead. And again... Truth number six there. In him dwelt the whole fullness of God. That's amazing. I mean, can you, can you imagine, of course you shouldn't imagine, being a church receiving this letter about the person that you have set your allegiance with. And it says that the person that you've got an allegiance with, in him dwells the whole fullness of God. So not only Jesus is, enough, is the head of the church, but he is enough. He is sufficient. You don't need any others to add on. You don't need any syncretism or cultural experiences or ideologies to add on. 
Jesus is sufficient. Because, not because I say, says Paul, no, but because in him is the fullness of God. The fullness of God. The whole of God. The completeness of God is in Jesus. Wow. And lastly, he is the reconciler of all things. I was reading one of the commentaries, and N.T. Wright says that reconciliation is always needed when there is a, a, a distorted relationship. Reconciliation is always needed when there is a distorted relationship. And the Colossians are represented with this truth about who Jesus is. And he says, and for you, Jesus is the reconciler. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So he, he expands that idea of reconciliation that actually in order for this reconciliation to happen, you have had to be in trouble and actually you were in trouble. And the love of God reached out to you. The love of God came after you, embraced you, and said, no, no, because of Jesus, we, we're not going to hold tight to what you, you, you were in trouble for. We're going to present you as holy and without blemish, without shame, without guilt, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope. So again, Paul is celebrating here that actually, guys, you're doing that. You, you are continuing in your faith. You're continuing in your hope. And yet, Christ is declaring you to be, presenting you holy, without blemish and without accusation. And perhaps this was not the currency that the people were throwing to the church in Colossae. I don't know what they were blaming them for. I don't know what they were telling them off for. I don't know what they were in trouble for. But actually, Paul has to remind them that whatever is being thrown at you, Christ is superior to that. Let's pause for a moment here and let's bring it home. Because I am aware that (coughs) 
In my own life, when it comes to the supremacy of Christ, there is elements of Jesus, of the character and the attributes of Jesus, that I have no problem endorsing. And I mean, it sounds very bad, no problem, because who am I, you know? It's, but, but there's elements there that are say, well, actually, if they are blatantly there, I'll take them with a step of faith. And there are elements of, of the Jesus' Jesus's character and attribute that actually I have, whether I have created or I have brushed on my own and have moved away and I've had to come back and repent and ask forgiveness, or whether those are elements are still there because I'm not so sure about. And I think, you know, I know that Jesus is this, but actually when it comes to my experience, this is not the case. Um, and I really struggle with this passage because I should, actually. Because it's worship that overflows in action. If these truths do not transform me, then it means that the gospel is not offensive. And if the gospel does not offend me, then it's not good news. It's just random binge information. When I say that Christ is the image of God, when I say that He is in charge of, of creation and in charge of the church, and in Him is the fullness of God, and He is here for my benefit as much as I want to not look at selfishly, He's here to reconcile me with God. Then if Christ is supreme in character, if He is supreme over creation, if He is supreme over His church and ultimately me as one of the church members, then how outstanding and unrivaled is my Jesus. How outstanding and unrivaled is our Jesus. Because if he is supreme, then he needs to be number one. And I totally realize that he's not number one. For me, I'm not going to point finger to anybody else. So if Christ is supreme, then he deserves to be number one. And not with just saying it, but with living it out. And I know that within us, there is this longing, desire to have him number one. And this goal of having Christ as number one is very challenging. That's why we've got the covenant promises that we want to say we want to journey together. We want actually to keep one another shoulder to shoulder that we continue to keep Christ as number one in our lives. Is Christ number one over your marriage? 
Is Christ number one over your singleness? Is Christ number one over your families? Is Christ number one over your profession? Is Christ number one over the things that you do in the week? Is Christ number one over your holidays? I've had to answer all those questions honestly before God. And I've had to repent because I know that that's not the case. But it doesn't stop with repentance and me feeling sorry for myself. The good news is that this Christ is so amazing. It's so amazing that for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell on him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. To reconcile me with all my distorted views of who Christ is in my life. To, recon- to reconcile me through his death and to present me as holy, set apart, without blemish, without any pointing finger, and free from accusations. How Outstanding and rivaling is our Christ. He is amazing. And he showed this to his disciples very clearly. When he gathered to them together on the Passover meal, and he said, I'm going to do something here for you guys to pass on and to remember me with two things. A piece from the Passover meal bread and a cup. You're going to remember me. You're going to remember this reconciliation. You're going to remember it by having fellowship with one another because he gave it to a whole group. And you're going to remember my return. So, we're going to have an opportunity now that if we've got a distorted outtaking of Christ, of Christ being number one in our lives, this is an opportunity for us to say, God, we're sorry. We repent. And we want this reconciliation. We want this presentation of being holy and without blame. And set apart and righteous in your sight. So I'm going to give some space now for us to be thinking and praying. And then um, I'm going to ask some people to come and serve it to you. As a sign of God declaring to you being holy, blemish and righteous in in his sight. Let's, Let's have this time together and then we'll move on.